welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. And it is already 10A of um, Series 3, which I think is just amazing. Um, and the most popular podcast of Series 3 so far is 3A, which was on assessment. And in that, we spoke about the importance of people's stories. I'm really pleased that people like the assessment podcast. I think it's such an important area. Um, and this next area, to me, is um, also equally important. Yes, because we're going to be talking about closure, which is the sort of end or the pause, I suppose, in people's stories rather than necessarily an end. And I've been thinking about a lot about stories for the last few weeks because in early February, I went along to Belfast to the launch of um, some research that Baswell Northern Ireland did around social work through the Troubles. And it really made me think about stories because we we do know from people that we work with how important it is to be able to tell your story and to be heard and to have that kind of affirmation and recognition. And the research that I went along to to hear about was the stories of social workers, about what it was like working in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, um, during the kind of time of conflict, and giving people the opportunity who haven't been heard and who were doing work that really wasn't very visible for those stories to be to be seen and to be to be listened to was really powerful. Um, it was really inspiring because of the kind of practice that was undertaken, but also because of the peer support that was shown. That was something that came out really strongly, people's values and dedication to their work, but also the way that they supported one another. And um, Jerry, you've got some lovely stories here and examples, haven't you, of um, what people said and one of the ones that really stuck up from stuck out for me was the one around ethics, um, where you talk about someone saying, "But whenever you went into homes, you had to be impartial and you had to be non-judgmental." And I have to say, I think if you were ever taught how to be non-judgmental, you had to be it at the height of the troubles here, because you couldn't have done the job otherwise. But it was hard when you were struggling with what was going on outside those four walls, and that really um, stood out to me, particularly around. Um, how we make relationships and how we and how we finish relationships well. Yeah, so it's an example, isn't it, of where the things that we we know to be important and hold to be important in social work are really thrown into kind of bright relief when mm. you see them in that sort of extreme time, that extraordinary time. Yeah, you know, we, we we have to be non-judgmental, but trying to be non-judgmental essentially in a, in a civil conflict when mm. communities are pitted against one another and the whole society is seeped in strong, strong views and prejudices. It's so difficult. And I think, yeah, that quote of if you were ever taught how to be non-judgmental, you had to be at the height of the troubles. It's just really remarkable that people can hold to their values in those kind of extraordinary times. And serve both and serve all people fairly, because that's the idea of it, isn't it, is to be equitable and even handed to all people. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good reminder and a really interesting piece of work. So this podcast podcast it's an A podcast, so we're looking at the social work journey, and it's the last podcast we have about the journey. And so naturally, we're thinking about endings of encounters. Um, and the wonderful thing about the word close 
is that it's to come to an end or to come together. So if we think about to come together, you know, maybe at the end we're seeking not only to conclude but to conclude in harmony with us all in the same place or close or near to another, near to one another. I, I think it's lovely to think about us ending something together because we often in casework think about closure as almost like um, a procedural thing something that we, we have to close the case and it usually is referring to paperwork i would really recommend people read the chapter in um gillian Rouche's um and, and others edited but relationship-based social work which we've talked about a bit robin mm. solomon writes the chapter about endings and the first thing that that he says is we don't pay enough attention to the ending the priority is kind of finishing yeah um, and we think about getting cases closed rather than closure, which is a different sort of idea, isn't it? If you think about it as drawing things together so that there's a coherence to them. Definitely. Yeah, I think how we leave things with people matters as much as how we start them. And that's for several reasons. For me, firstly, life is a series of events and some difficult and painful things amongst the great and good are always going to be happening and so we don't know when people might need good help again in their life. And we really want to leave them with a sense that help is worth the effort of asking for. And this means leaving them with good memories and outcomes and positive associations from the last time they received help. And, you know, secondly, we want to leave them with a series of gifts or capabilities that in ending we affirm the journey that they've been on and the gains they've made along the way. And we do this by ensuring we transfer skills over to them to take on in their life. And then thirdly, we should do no harm. And this involves checking out everyone is okay with us going, that the reasons for us leaving are understood, and that people, if they're not ready for us to go, at least have someone else that they'll now be working with, that they know, and that they're ready to build a relationship with. And for me, um, and I know we're going to talk about the theory later, but... In attachment theory, the word transition matters. And for me, closing a case is a transition. It helps move someone from one state to another, and it should be accorded the same importance as any other relational behaviour. You've just made me think in that phrase, moving from one state to another, you've just made me think of uh, Lewin's model of change, which is where, because he was a physicist, it's quite an old model, you've got a solid um, shape, maybe a circle and then you've got um the idea that you sort of change the state of status of that um and turn it into a square mm. um so the idea is that people are moving from one solid state to another but they move through a period of um of being in a different form so there's a lot of energy to move something from one state to another um and i suppose if we're thinking of the transition with social work we are thinking about an awful lot of energy, emotional and physical energy that goes into oh. that. Um, and we want people to be stable <laughs> back, yeah. in, back in, a, in a situation that's where that energy is kind of contained and um, purposefully directed to something else rather than flying all over the place in the, in the way that we do when we're thinking about change management in an organisation. Um, it creates an awful lot of turbulence and you kind of want that to calm down and be redirected before you can say actually that change is accomplished mm, it needs i think a, that's yeah, exactly right it needs a yeah. lot of planning really doesn't it um real purposefulness and it's similar to mm. your sense of legacy 
generally about social work? You know, what's the legacy, the legacy that we want to leave as social workers? You'd be thinking in a in work with a person. What's the legacy I want to leave here? Mm. Where do we what, what what joint legacy do we want? Ideally, I suppose. Yeah, it's um needs to be you need to be planning to exit from the moment you say hello. Actually, for me, and that's where this idea of social workers, kind of journeymen and map, map makers, I keep coming back to that because it's like opening the map when you get together for the first time. Right, where do we want to go? Where are we, and where do we want to go? And you take the map out, and as you're doing that, you start to talk about well, this is where we are, and these are the places I can come with you. And this is where my part of the journey will end. These are the things we need to do along the way. Because I do think we need to understand that our role is only ever temporary in people's lives. And part of the work that we need to do is build up other resources and communities around people so that when we step out, the gap's already filled. Um, and so we're leaving people, as you say, in, different, in a different shape, but a shape they've chosen with people around them that they would choose to take on their onward journey. Because actually in ideal situations, you mostly wouldn't choose a social worker to take on your journey. And I'm not saying that to run away with our profession. I'm just saying that to say that if everything was working well in your life, then you would choose people who were your friends and companions rather than people who were paid to take on that journey. This is where you kind of come back to the fundamental question of what role do we have? And the role, I think, is quite often described by what our organisation wants. So I was a, um emergency duty social worker and I my role was for this much time to do these kind of things. Um, and then I was a community team manager and the social workers in my team, their role was to work with people for about this long and do this kind of thing yeah. so it's all very dictated by the organizational requirements mm. isn't it rather than to go to somebody and and really think about what what our role is from their point of view and this is why i think where we are needs to be dictated to by the, the person that we're working with and the journey that they're on and strength-based work does really focus on that because it thinks about what who is this person what are they bring into the situation what um, mm. resources and support they have around them and how do we build that up so that we are not um, the scaffolding um, longer than we need to be but we might need to be for a bit so yeah we're building in our own redundancy aren't we like right from the you know we're planning for that time right from the beginning where people will give offer us a natural ending because that's the other thing is and I agree with you I think that um, the systems and the people don't always work together as well as they can. But one of the things that I've learned um, in all the different roles I've had is that being really clear at the beginning about the limitations of what you can offer is so important. You know, I've been in jobs where I've been a school counsellor, so I've been able to see a child all year if that was what they needed. Um, and I could just keep saying, do you want another appointment? I've been in other jobs where I've had to say, I can only offer you this much time. How do you think we could best use it? These are the types of things that we could do with it. Do you have any ideas about what you want to do with it? So that, you know, I, th I think clarity um, takes away some of the sting of goodbye, if that makes sense, or the shock of it. It really does. And that's, that does link to 
something we always have to be aware of in our encounters, which is that we're not the first person to come through this person's life. And so there's a lot of history around the endings that people have experienced before. And Mm. so, you know, you've just made me think, okay, if somebody had had an abrupt ending before or an unexplained ending, or maybe even somebody kind of disappearing on them, then that we could easily trigger that, couldn't we? Or we... um, you could cause them to, to recollect that um, or have echoes of that. Um, and, and there's lots of other ways that people might have experienced endings. And so if we can mm. create a good one, obviously we're leaving a great legacy, but also we need to be aware of the previous legacy that people might have. I think this is particularly true, Jerry. Um, when I have, when I used to work um, with young people, with uh, teenagers, uh, adolescents who had had a really difficult time in care and had perhaps moved out of home in in a really difficult situation and then moved into foster care and had that situation break down and break down. And what you tended to see was a kind of um, their window of tolerance. If you think about the, um, the window of tolerance, their window of tolerance was so narrow that they couldn't take any type of intimacy or pain or distress, those really strong emotions. And so they would just break things. And, and in such a way that they couldn't go backwards ever again. And one of the things that you really had to do when you were working with young people was help them understand that goodbye doesn't mean, you know, a flamethrower and burning all your bridges. A goodbye can be done safely and a goodbye can be something you can come back to. You can walk over that bridge again and come back to a person. Um, and, and And there's something about helping people know how to end well, which I think is really critical, and knowing how to walk back in time as well as forward. Sometimes we just teach people to kind of go forward, go forward, go forward. But you need to be able to travel back and forth along your life, don't you? Yes. Yes, you do. So if you have somebody who's had an experience of um, of an ending that, that they, they either – kind of keep reliving or that they can't bear to experience again you might get some some behaviors that are not really related to what you're actually doing um so would you strive to kind of have a conversation about that about what what's happening there or would you be working on showing people a different experience or or a bit of both yeah, I guess once again, it does depend on the person. One of the things that you can do um, that we talk about a lot is about rescripting. So helping someone rewrite their internal script of how you leave people um, and help them realize that endings can be done safely without acrimony by basically giving them opportunities to rehearse how they'd like to leave something by doing stuff with them that helps them work out how they could repair something, particularly with a foster carer. If you've got some skilled foster carers, if there's been some big blow-ups, you can help the young person go back and look at that again. In residential care, they do a lot of this work. And it's where you just you you let the person rehearse in safety with you about what they would have liked to have said and how they would have liked to have managed things. And then you can help the other person hear that well, and then you can help them come together and actually practice that and then prepare them for the next time. Because you can often see when things are about to go, you want to get there beforehand, don't you? And just kind of talk to the young person and say, what's happening for you? How are you feeling? Lots of feelings work. 
Yeah. I mean, again, it's quite hopeful, isn't it? Because there's, even if someone's broken a relationship or had someone break a relationship with them, they, there is an opportunity either to, or potentially to, to have another conversation with that person to practice and, and go back and, and repair it in some way, or to do that work maybe just with one party so that they mm. understand it. Um, but all of that is about thinking about the next time and the future relationships, isn't it? Yeah. And you've talked about altering um, people's internal working models there. That's what you've started to touch on. Um, and there's some good some good um, theories around thinking about people. And two that I thought of was about attachment theory, you know, about transitions, separations and reconnections, because in attachment theory, we know that transitions really matter. So those saying goodbye to people and saying hello to people. And so it's one of the fundamental things that we need to help people do well. And the other thing that I thought of um, was around grief and loss, actually, um, and I thought that this this kind of was for all of us, not just for um, the people that we work with, but also for us. I mean, we in depending on the strength of the attachment or the intensity of the journey that we've been on, we can experience the cycle of grief. You know, we can deny that a person or a family is ready to move on. We can feel angry at the system that's forcing us to move on before we're ready. We can feel like we might as well give up on social work that we never do any good anyway because we never stay long enough, that they'll just come back through the door again because we close too early. We can try and persuade managers that the case should be held open a little bit longer, that there's more that we can do, that the change is nearly there, that the person's not ready yet. And then finally we can experience that resignation and moving on to the next person who needs our help. And, and you know, one of the things I wonder about that cycle is if we don't talk about it, and acknowledge what we're going through ourselves, particularly in good supervision or with peers, there, there may well be a cost to that because we might just end up when we move on feeling just a little bit more cynical, a little bit less willing to be relational, a little bit more weary. Um, so I think, you know, for us, we need to think not only all the time about, well, how is the person we are working with feeling, but we also need to understand that a closure the closing of that relationship, that working relationship works two ways and has an impact both ways, doesn't it? Yes, understanding the emotional impact of of preparing for and experiencing and for, you know, following endings, because it is a process, isn't it? That's one of the interesting mm. things about the cycle of grief is that it, you know, even though people experience it in slightly different ways, the common thing is that it really is a process. It's a, it's a series of experiences um, and people will experience different emotions at different times and understanding those things about ourselves will help us hopefully empathize but it's the question to be asking isn't it how do you feel about us coming to the end of this journey or how do you feel about the fact that we're at the end or you know how do we feel afterwards and one of the bits of work that I did with research and practice for adults was about attachments um, styles in adults and approaches to attachment in adults and that did look at this um, idea of internal working models and the, the really positive thing about research and work around attachment styles in adults is that they're not, you know, it seems to really strongly indicate that they're not fixed. So new experiences can change um, our, our current ideas and approaches and beliefs about relationships, which is really hopeful, isn't it? Because that's, that's what social work is trying to do. It's offering 
a different relationship or new relationship or new experience. Absolutely. Um, so when we when we provide um, a, a different experience of a relationship or of closure um, and help the person understand how they're responding to that experience, then we can help them change their response and develop um, from that a new idea or a new working model of how relationships and, and endings work. So they've they've experienced something a bit different. Their they've managed to understand and their response is a bit different. And that means that their model of, mm. oh, this is what happens and this is how it feels and what, what then happens to me is different. And, it's, and it means that the next time around they can put that more into practice and their relationships can be can change because I guess endings cloud the whole of the relationship don't they the idea that this might end someday echoes through the whole relationship so having yes. a different understanding of endings can can make makes have a different understanding of beginnings and middles mm. as well and I think that's right and what we're and what we're aiming for isn't it is the impression the whole time that the ending that we're going to make is 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 a healthy ending. In other words, that the reason that this is ending is because you have other different great things in your life to be getting on with rather than a kind of sad, traumatic thing, which a lot of people experience endings as, you know, things that they don't want to end. Um, and for me, there's also that thing of us, as you say, you know, what that what that lovely um, cycle you just talked about, that change experience and change responses talked about is how important modelling is in social work, which means it's absolutely critical that we do not end poorly, that we don't be careless, that we don't do it over the telephone or abruptly or without discussing it. And when you said, um, how do you feel about this ending? I think the other part of that is this is how I feel about it. People, we need to offer our own feelings about the ending as well. Um, you know, I feel hopeful because these are the things I see and this is what I think will happen. How do you feel about that? So we're actually talking about that future vision. Yes. I, I think um, there's a really positive element to social work closures which is you don't need me alongside you anymore um that's how it should be i think in practice it quite often doesn't feel like that it's quite often a, a struggle isn't it between feeling mm. like there's more that we would want to do and actually we can't because there's other competing pressures i did want to talk about that actually the this thing about when we're at the end, of, well, we feel we're at the end of something, um, either a visit, say, and somebody catches on the doorstep to talk about something really crucial, or we have closed a case and had the conversation and everything else, and then someone comes back to us um, with something that we maybe don't feel is is part of the work. It's mm. it feels like it's a a, a plea for us to mm. say, well, how 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 do we handle that? Because I know I've handled this poorly in the past, where I've either said oh you know it's not me anymore or he actually maybe felt a bit defensive about excuse me yeah, that's a difficult um thing to process isn't that somebody yeah i think it's a, a really good question jerry and what because they're the door handle questions aren't they when you just like you just as they drop the door handle down they just turn around and go oh by the way blah um and i can certainly think of 
a time when I was we had worked with a young woman. Um, she had two children. She was single mum, and we'd really we'd really worked well together. And we got her into a new house. She painted it all up. She was, you know, her relationship with her children was much better. She felt more secure. And um, I was going for my closure visit. So I was sitting down with her having a cup of tea. We were having a laugh. And um, she said to me, just as I was about to leave, he didn't fall, you know, because the reason I was involved was her baby had a cracked skull. Um, he didn't fall. And I said, I'm sorry. And she said, he didn't fall. I threw him. Well, that's, and that's a pretty. I just, it is a big example, but, you know, like, everything in me just froze at that moment but I guess I've gone straight back to remembering it because I didn't realize then what you've just said I didn't realize that she was most likely actually wanting to prolong the relationship and that there was some grieving and stuff going on there because I always wondered why she told me um and and why she why all of those consequences you know all the things that happened as a result of that kind of got kicked off by her then um but there must have been something for her about not feeling ready to manage without support perhaps it just it just made me think of it in a different way you and know? what you've made me yeah. consider now is that our our first response to somebody essentially saying i need you for a bit longer mm. ought to be to, to empathize with that and take that really seriously I think that's exactly right that's what I'm just thinking I wish I'd just said I wish I'd asked her why she told me now do you know what I mean like I wish I'd just kind of instead of kind of going right well now you've told me this yeah. and there, there might follow a I mean in that case obviously there's 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 things that have to then happen um in another mm. case um, or another situation what might follow is is a negotiation or a discussion about mm. actually what involvement is possible or needed um, and some compromise or some, you know, some options. But I think the, the first response of, I, I, you know, I hear you, this is, this is obviously mm. important to you it is mm. the one that we need to give. And I, I'm just thinking that's, that's difficult because, you know, I know there've been times when I've been, I felt, but I'm, I've got to go now. I've got to yeah. get on to the next thing. And this yeah. happens at the end of supervisions as well, doesn't it? That the person yeah. will tell you something that you think, I wish you hadn't told me that when I now have to go to a meeting. Um, mm. So we've got to be prepared, I suppose, to throw up our own ideas of, you know, when And, when and as you ends. say, to be compassionate and, and to be curious, I think, like, you know, and, and to ask people, well, what, what would be the worst thing that would happen if I wasn't here anymore? like to actually explore that fear a little bit, maybe even to offer that out there, you know, especially if um, the things they're telling you are, um, feel like things that they could easily solve themselves now. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, maybe just kind of explore, kind of saying, well, you know, are you worried about the fact that I'm going to be leaving? Maybe we should ask people that. Is there, you know, is there anything about the fact that I'm closing the case that's worrying you? Because then you can, re again, it's rehearsal, isn't it? Um, you mm. don't want it to be done and the person not know what to do next. Or That's, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you can think through what some of those things might be, you won't, probably won't think of all of them, um, but think mm. through some of those things and rehearse them. Then even if the person comes back to you and says, this has happened, you say, okay, well, we talked about something like this maybe happening. Mm. What, what did we 
what did we think might work? Um, yeah. The, the the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, is that is a much more it's a kind of more controversial area. So this is when endings are just really there is no good way, really. There's a better or worse way, but there's no completely good way. So I was thinking about um, adoption. Um, mm. Baswa did a, a an inquiry into adoption uh, that was published a year ago. So I've just been involved in a podcast around looking at what's happened over the last year, and one of the things that that people spoke very strongly about in that social workers and um, birth parents and adoptive parents and children spoke about was this idea of final contact. So an ending that is imposed on a parent when they have to say goodbye to their child um, who's going for adoption. And we do have in England, Scotland and Wales, we have arrangements um, for letters. In Northern Ireland, there's very often arrangements for face-to-face contact. Um, But there is this kind of feeling of, an imposed ending mm. and that will happen in other circumstances as well of course there are endings that we just don't choose and we don't want and we can't you know, that, are, that are kind of imposed on us um, but I think that that's a very difficult one to 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 plan and um, support and be hopeful within mm. It is um it is a really important one to plan though <laughs> and to be supportive of it's a huge ask for a grieving parent and we need to be really mindful that regardless of anything that's brought the child into care that the parent will be grieving um and you know the social workers who are carrying out the work should be really mindful of what they're asking and strive to support that contact to be as positive and healthy as it can be And for me, it was always about making it purposeful by capturing voice, images and memories, you know, really knowing that one of the things that I was there to do was to actually um, capture things that mattered to people for their memories, really mindful of the fact that once young people turn 18, then they can start to make their own choices about whether they have contact again with their biological parents and that many people do. And really mindful that things like voice is helpful in understanding your identity. So capturing parents talking to children and the fact that this kind of all has to, you have to really rehearse with the parent about how they're going to be and the types of memories they want to leave for their child before they say goodbye. So spending some good time with the parent before you even go into the contact to talk to them about what are you hoping for, what is it that you really need your child to know, what memories do you want to leave with them, how could we capture them, that kind of thing, you know. Um, Really getting um, parents involved in life story work as early as you can. So I worked with a mother who was pregnant Um, and there was a court case going on and that meant that she was going to um, lose custody of of her children and her unborn child, and that was the most likely outcome of that case. Um, So we worked with that the whole time that she was pregnant um, and then, you know, right through to the baby coming into care and going for adoption. And we worked on capturing things in a life story book. And it was very painful, actually, for both of us. I can remember times when I'd be driving the car, she'd be sitting beside me crying. And I I would be too, actually, because I'm very sad. Um, But I like to think that we captured some good memories for both her and for her child 
in later years to come. And so there's the life story work. There's the um, later life letter, which is which is really important. You know that that attempt to support a child or young person to understand their past through collecting important stories from their family of origins and others, um, building that story and maintaining it. Later life letters, they're intended to be read when the adoptive parent believes it will be helpful for the child to know all the issues that have contributed to their adoption. They were too young to previously process. I mean, they're really hard to write. This is a very hard area to work in, I think, Jerry, but it's um, an absolutely fundamentally important area because people need to have a sense of who they are and the sense of who you are is not just often who raised you it's where you came from and I think particularly of my sister you know who um obviously was adopted at birth and we've only just recently met again and how much information she can tolerate from me and that she wants from me from time to you know it changes sometimes she's quite open to hearing stories of our family and other times she just doesn't want to but imagine if there was no one to tell her any. Yes, that sense of uh, uh, not a, a coherent story. I was going to say a continuous story. Um, coherent. It is coherent is better. Um, so people can actually look back and see the whole, the whole yeah. of their path. Yeah. Um, and what you don't want, I guess, is is gaps or breaks or. Um, or clouds, you know, kind of areas that you just can't see at all, or or ones where it's so contradictory that there's no story that makes sense to you that you can mm. tolerate or absorb as part of your identity. So where, and that can happen, kind of, I suppose, if there's if there's been conflict or um, different views, unless you find a way to to tell the story of that period. The and person can, will experience that as, as, as very fragmented, won't they? Yeah. It can happen when we make the mistake in our life story work of um, making the parent one-dimensional, um, either as in they were completely terrible or they were great, because sometimes we can make those contact events all full of presents and celebration and all sorts of things. And the child themselves who's experienced the abuse and neglect, whether they can talk about it or not, or process it or not, they know what they've experienced inside themselves. It doesn't make sense with what they're encountering outside themselves. And it doesn't make sense then when they look back at the book and they see all these pictures of them with presents and, and they're kind of like, well, why was I taken and was I wrong about the things I was thinking? And so it can create a real um, discourse inside them and what we want is to be able to offer them the complexity of their parents it, not not the simple simplistic story but the rich complexity of them that most people are neither monsters nor angels mm, the same goes for identity doesn't it? i was thinking about this recently that what you don't want to do is yourself or or, or for others is is to make people choose a part of their identity and that would be the whole thing. Most people have got yep. multiple identities and multiple elements that are important to them and some things are more important at different times. So you want that whole picture um, rather than just a bit of it. And that, that mm. is a real privilege as well for a social worker, isn't it, to be a storyteller and a sense maker of some of these events. Um, and it's and it's a respons real responsibility. 
Yeah, and we've been talking about kind of the gravest end of children's services, which is when a child comes in for adoption. But let's go right back to any contact that a child or family or adult has with social care. That needs sense made of it. That whole encounter from beginning to end needs to make sense. It needs to have a sense of coherence and it needs to offer people what I would call a public-facing story. So they need to be able to talk with confidence about their encounters with us in a way that doesn't evoke shame, in a way that enables them to talk about themselves as people who were resourceful, as people who got help, as people who overcame things, rather than um, as people who were who should be ashamed or who were victims or felt inadequate or any of those kind of negative labels that you can leave people with. You want to leave people with a positive public story that fits into their life well, that allows them to to talk about it well and safely and healthily. You don't want us to be a secret. And I worry in children in need cases where we only have short interventions, that part of what happens is we don't do the closure well enough to offer them a way to talk about it with each other. So it becomes something that's not talked about. And of course, when something's not talked about, it's shameful, isn't it? Yeah. And in adult services, one of the things that happens is that it's such a struggle to make sense of what's going on with the health and social care system, that people are left with a story that they can't easily mm. report on. Um, and that's difficult for them. I mean, it's difficult because it reflects an experience that isn't coherent and and straightforward and um, it's also difficult to then explain to someone what happens you know I, I had a fall and went into hospital and then lots of different people came came along and this that and the other and it went on for weeks and weeks and then eventually this and you're kind of left thinking well but what did happen to my friend or my mm. you know, this member of my community um, but it also doesn't help with the trust does it that's the other no. sort of big thing to be thinking about is always if the stories are hopeful and the stories are ones where people have um, gained something from a social worker being involved in their life then that makes other that encourages other people um, encourages mm. trust and it means that people are more likely to feel a social worker with someone that they would want to have in their life when they need it I think that's right and that and that we can acknowledge that a lot of the journeys that we make with people are quite painful for the people who are on them um, and sometimes for ourselves. But you've got to be able to feel that the the pain that you went through was, was worth something. And so that's, you know, that kind of being able to give a good account of yourself. I think I really think that matters in closures. And I think we should be striving to help people rehearse and own that good account of themselves and the journey that they've taken with us. So for the last bit of the social work journey, the kind of questions are, what is the story that we're leaving people with uh, that they will then hopefully carry with them, but also tell others? Um, mm -hmm. And what's the story that we take away as social workers uh, so that we can feel positive and hopeful about the work that we do? Mm -hmm.